Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everybody, for tuning in to the Inferno podcast. This is the third episode of our Sons Based podcast here in the Valley. I'm Dana Scott. Uh, co-host is Patrick Batillo, the Peoria boys head basketball coach. Uh, and he is also Mr. Orange, the super fan of the Phoenix Suns, longtime ticket holder. Today we have three guests, my friends and fellow writers, Anthony Ray, founder of Arizona Preps, his writing partner, George Courtney, and my colleague at AZ Central and friend, Richard Obert, the, who I like to call the guru of high school sports journalism here in Arizona. So we're going to go over five topics today. The Suns being three and three after the All-Star break, the high school boys and girls basketball championships um, last week uh, for the namely 4A through 6A. We'll go over the 1A and 2A as well for those conferences. Coach Mike Krzyzewski's final home game at Duke at Cameron Indoor Stadium versus North Carolina, the arch rival, and Phoenix Mercury's Brittany Griner detained in Russia for being caught by customs at an airport with hashish oil cartridges. So to start about the Suns, Patrick, you were in Milwaukee on Sunday for the game. What did you see in the crowd? And did you go to any of the finals games last year? Yeah, absolutely. I went to all finals games, uh, home and away. Uh, so the three that we had there in Milwaukee and uh, yeah, just got back uh, about an hour ago from Milwaukee uh, for this game and uh, great uh, treatment there. Uh, the fans are amazing, uh, very much uh, hospitable, all about their bucks. Uh, the energy was very different. That's the first thing I noticed. Uh, the crowd was uh, full, but uh, very quiet up until the last, I would say, seven minutes of that game. Uh, it, it is night and day from what we see at a regular season game here in Phoenix compared to uh, what I saw during those three playoff games there in Milwaukee uh, for the NBA Finals. Yeah. What about you, Richard? Did you watch the game yesterday? I didn't get a chance to. I heard it. I follow a little bit of it, but uh, you know, it's gonna. I think you know, once you get Chris Paul back, you know, everything's gonna be back. It's gonna be okay. But I think that's hurting them right now. I mean, they're not the same team. Um, you know, everybody knows that he makes everybody go. You know, and once they get him back, you know, they've had some injuries. So, you know, they're gonna be an awesome. They're gonna be that team that everybody that nobody wants to face, even the Bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anthony, you take. Yeah, I think when you lose, you know, two all-stars, that's tough to uh, – definitely tough to to make up. But just having Devin Booker back will be a tremendous improvement for this team. So – and quite honestly, what a great game. I mean, on the road at Milwaukee, uh, an amazing effort from, you know, s- several players on the team, uh, two not including the Greek freak, and we still were in the game. So really impressive effort by the Suns not having Booker or Chris Paul. And still, you know, they held the lead late in the game and, and until they finally, you know, fell. But uh, this team's amazing. George, your take. My take, man. You know, I'm I'm a diehard Suns fan. 
uh, ever since I moved to the Valley back in 2007. And, um, you know, I'm their best basketball is ahead of them. You know, I'm still very, very optimistic that they're going to make another deep, deep run. Um, you know, it's, it's all about peaking at the right time. And, uh, you know, they were really hot and it cooled down, you know, with injuries, but, you know, this is a great time to rest, but also try to build, uh, your rotations and, and looking at what's, you know, what's your, your bench is going to do, uh, because to me, it's a, it's a marathon. Right. It's a marathon and not a sprint. And I believe that too, is that this past three games that they've had, they're three and three since the all-star break. They've had some great games against the, you know, Thunder when they first came back. Devin Booker had that career high game where he had 25 points, 12 assists, and six steals is career high and uh, or tying his career high. And I just know that the, the Suns are one of the deepest teams in the league, and they proved that yesterday, even being shorthanded without, you know, Cam Johnson with that great bank shot that he hit you know, over the Knicks on Friday night, and that was fun to cover. Uh, so the fact that they don't have their best shooter and they don't have their best player and their floor general in Chris Paul, that shows that they're going to make a deep playoff run. Luckily, the, the, the Warriors have won uh, just they're, – they're two of eight in their last ten games, and they're just really not playing well. So they have a comfortable – the Suns have a comfortable lead going forward, and they have the 20th-ranked uh, strength of schedule – among all 32 teams in the league going forward. So it's not going to be an easy ride going down the stretch into the playoffs, but it will be helpful when you get some of those guys like uh, Aaron Holiday and Torrey Craig and some of the other uh, great role players like Cameron Payne when he gets back. And he, he's, he's playing well now that he's back from his wrist injury and helping the team as, as deep as they are for their second unit. And those guys like Biombo to come in and, and put in some work uh, for behind Aiden. So the next topic about Al McCoy. Anthony, I want to ask you first because you're a former Suns ball boy back in the 80s. And I just think that I'm not here from the Valley, but Richard, you are – Patrick, you are, and I know Anthony is. So what are some of you guys' memories of Al McCoy growing up here at Suns Games? I know for me it was uh, a blessing to be a ball boy, and I was in, you know, seventh, eighth grade, and I would, you know, I'd be at, you know, we'd have a home game uh, anywhere from one to three times a week, and so I got to see him a lot, and I think, you know, for me at that point in time, he was, you know, he was a legend then, right. you know? So now here we are, you know, she's, you know, 35 years later in my life and, and he's still doing the job, which is unheard of nowadays. Uh, but the things I remember the most is just the preparation, him being there so early, uh, you know, knowing the teams, knowing the players, and then I think, you know, when I was there, you know, in that early stages, you know, we had Kyle Macy, Alvin Adams, you know, you had, we weren't winning too much. Yeah. Larry Vance, you know, Walt Davis. So the team didn't have the success anywhere near like what the organization does now. But you, back then, you still remembered Al McCoy. You still remembered the, 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 the nicknames. You still remembered the, you know, when Walt Davis would heat up, you know, late in the game and hit six or seven shots in a row, you know, the old brother, you know, the, the you know, old, when they would win, oh, they're going to the old decrease, 
I mean, those things that he would say have lived with me for, for life. And I'm just glad he's still doing it because it still reminds you of the old Phoenix Suns organization. Right. Richard? Yeah, the, the very first story I've ever wrote as a journalist was on Al McCoy, actually, to tell you the truth. I'm, wow. This was, yeah, this was back yeah. in the late 70s, and I was working. I was just, you know, becoming a journalist, working, uh, going to school at Scottsdale Community College, and and uh, one of my classes was magazine writing, and, and I decided, well, I'm going to go do a story on Al McCoy, and I didn't even know if he would let me interview him or not, but he was awesome. He was great. He was real cordial, real polite, real, you know, just just, you know, um, humble man, you know, and he let me come into his office. I interviewed him for about, you know, 20, 30 minutes and got a lot of great stuff. But I mean, I admired him when I was a kid, when little kid, when I was in grade school and, you know, you'd hear all those great, those great sayings by him and, you know, Dick Van Arsdale and Connie Hawkins and Goodrich and, and then you'd have Paul Westfall and all those guys, you know, uh, Tom, Tom Chambers later. I mean, he just connected with everybody, connected with the community and um, just truly a legend, you know, and, and, and no surprise that he made the Hall of Fame as a broadcaster because he totally earned it. Yeah. yeah, you know, to echo what everyone else has already stated, it's to me, it's the stability of the Suns. Uh, no matter what change we've had, change in coaches, players obviously come and go, uh, even ownership change, that, that one constant has been Al McCoy and – I, I could speak for probably most fans where many times, especially during nationally televised games, you would uh, mute the TV and turn on the radio to listen to Al's play-by-play um, along with being able to watch it visually if you weren't in a car or, or listening on the radio naturally. So, um, you know, I, just what he means to this uh, city and state and the organization, um, it's, it's amazing that we were able to you know, have this night dedicated to him. I was there obviously for when he, we inducted him into the son's uh, ring of honor as well. And so I wore the shirt that, you know, the son sold that night. I wore that uh, to Al's um, 50th, um, you know, anniversary with being the voice of the son's the other evening. And so uh, just extremely polite down to earth, always, you know, willing to speak to fans and the history, just listening to his stories that, you know, he tells um, is, is truly special and reminded me of, you know, just listening to some of those legends at the NBA Christmas commercial dinner uh, really for me is just absorbing the knowledge and, and, you know, experiences that that man has been a part of. And I would want nothing more than for um, us to get a ring this year, as close as we came last year, you know, for Al with all the work that he's put in and how much that would mean to him to, to finally have that ring. George, you listen to the radio uh, when the Suns are playing and what do you think of Al McCoy as a broadcaster? Amazing. You know, it's, you know, when I think of Phoenix Suns basketball, it's Al McCoy. I mean, I remember, you know, when I was growing up, you know, when Charles Barkley played in the 90s and, you know, it, you know, those games were nationally televised. I remember his voice and, um, you know, it's just unique. And uh, in, like where I'm from in Hawaii growing up, you know, we have broadcasters that, that just do it forever. And it's like, you know, they become of the brand and, 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 they're just so legendary and, and helps put that brand to the whole nother level. And, uh, you know, Al McCoy just, you know, he's, he's all class, you know, he just brings the, the Suns organization to the next level and makes them an elite classy organization because of all the commitment and, you know, and work he's done, you know, in, in broadcasting, doing play by play. So it's just amazing. I'm glad that um, I'm able to still 
be a part of it and as a fan and listen to him call games. Yeah, McCoy is somebody I was familiar with growing up by name and but from a distance. I grew up on the NBA through basketball cards and such uh, and, and tracking it, NBA inside stuff. Sometimes I would interview the broadcasters once in a while. They didn't really get much light, but I mean, I grew up in the tri-state area in Connecticut, New York. So we got guys like uh, Marv Albert and, you know, we had broadcasters such as, uh, you know, Mike Green on MSG, uh, which became the Net Yes Network, but, uh, or Johnny Most was the radio guy for the Celtics. And, you know, most of Connecticut relies on the Celtics from where I'm from in Southeastern Connecticut. But Al McCoy uh, was somebody who I never got to hear until I came out here four years ago in January, 2018. And that guy was just, somebody who I wanted to hear more of. And he was, I just remember driving back from California uh, with my wife and we heard his voice and he had that Mr. Magoo kind of sound like, you know, the Phoenix Suns or, you know, and it just, it, it almost seems like you can't separate his, his voice from, now he's the voice of the Suns as they call him. You can't separate his voice from the team. And when he walked in the other night uh, from, Hey, before in the media room, I was before I was about to cover the Suns Knicks games. He walks in, he goes, "Hey, Dana, how you doing?" I, I I didn't know he knew who I was. I I was just honored that he even mentioned me without even looking at my name on uh, on the placard that I was had around my neck. I, I you know, I, he goes, "Hey, Dana, hey, Dwayne." <laughs> so, uh, I, and Dwayne Rankin is our, our senior beat writer for AZ Central. So I was honored that he even called me out by name. I didn't even have to introduce myself. It would have been an honor just for me to introduce myself because I never met him by, by uh, in, you know, in person. But that was a bright moment for me. And when we, <laughs> he had the, uh, the other night when he was uh, being honored for the Al McCoy uh, dedication night on uh, March 2nd the, against the Trailblazers. Even Al McCoy looked Al McCoy out because everybody wanted to cheer him every single, uh, you know, uh, like uh, every other time out. So he kind of got tired of that. And even he admitted, he's like, yeah, you know, I got a little bit, you know, <laughs> overwhelmed. But he, he was, but he, he took it in stride. And you have all those greats like uh, Jerry Colangelo, who founded the Suns and basically, and you have, um, Adam Silver and Steve Nash and the Van Arsdale brothers on the Jumbotron honoring him and Kevin Johnson and all those sons greats uh, from that ring of honor just you know telling him how great he is that was also really cool to be a part of that uh, from not only as a fan but as a writer and so that it's also great to to just have be a part of that and just be able to talk about him so the thing about our next topic we're going to discuss is the high school girls and boys basketball championship last week. It was held at the Veterans Memorial Coliseum for the 3A through 6A. Uh, I just mentioned 4A through 6A, but we we're talking namely about 3A through 6A. And I was not there to cover it. I covered high school sports uh, for three years until I got moved up uh, to cover the Suns and, and the Cardinals. But I felt a huge FOMO. I really wanted to be there. I had to cover the Suns. And Richard, I'll start with you because you mentored me to cover in the high school beat here in Arizona. What did you see about the high school championships uh, that people should know if they weren't there? Um, great games, you know, especially leading up to the championship games. They were all, especially in the boys. I was primarily focused on the boys, but um, there were incredible, incredible games, you know, starting with the Mesquite St. Mary's 
quarterfinal and you know nothing was, or yeah n or semifinal not, not or nothing was going to top th those kind of games you know and then and then uh, that kind of a game where it's one on a buzzer beater from beyond half court but but I mean yeah, there right. were a lot of thrillers man there was overtime games and then um, but yeah, going into the championship game, the only thing that, that really is like, I mean, I mean, if the AI wants to put six and eight o'clock, but knowing that the boys game's not going to start until really realistically 845, just, just kind of write it that way. Make it, make it out like, okay, six and nine, because they're going to need, they need a lot of time They're you know, the way they do it with the, they take the ladder out they cut the nets down. And then there's a, a, a long break before the game, you know, they've got 20 minutes to warm up. And then you got another 20 minutes to introduce the players in the spotlight. And they got the national anthem and the extended half times and, and everything else that goes with the TV and the t long TV timeouts. They're, they're long games. People aren't getting home until about midnight, you know, on those championship games. That's the only, only concern I had is, is, Hey, you know, I know they, they want to play the girls at six o'clock. That's fine. You know? Um, but, but starting these boys games at nine o'clock each night for the championships, I thought that was just a little bit late. That would be my only complaint, but I know it's nitpicking, but otherwise the games were great, you know, you know, Coliseums, it, it's, it, yeah, it's old and everything. And, and the noise isn't going to be like it would be at Grand Canyon or, or even a, at the a footprint, footprint center, you know, you would get that incredible loud, you know, noise. I don't know the Coliseum to me, it was kind of echoey, you know, but. But still, it was great to have a, a platform like that to ha have these kids be able to play their last games. Those games like Pac-12 games at nine o'clock, right? <laughs> yeah, right. At, right. Yeah. So, Ant, you covered those those games, and, and I know George, you did too. So, what were your takes on it? Let's start with Ant. Yeah, I have to to definitely mirror uh, what Richard was saying, just because of uh, you know the semifinal games were unreal. Uh, this year, the crowds were fantastic. The matchups were great. Um, and so it's always a letdown normally when you get to the finals because it is in such a big venue. You don't get that same atmosphere as you get in the semifinal games when it's at, at a, uh, you know, at the, the, the seed of the, the, the higher seed at the, at the, the gym. So it's usually a letdown, but I think this year it it, it was it was still really good. Uh, I still enjoyed it, but no doubt about it, late games. I mean, I was exhausted by the end of the week. I was happy the season was over on Wednesday, uh, just because it was so much to cover. But uh, but overall, it was a great season. You know, it was great to have fans back in the stands uh, and to get that electricity that comes from that. I know the, the Gilbert McClintock game semifinal was just unreal uh, in terms of atmosphere as well, as well as the Mesquite St. Mary's. So just some really good games, great matchups. Unfortunately, most of these kids aren't getting recruited uh, because of the portal. Uh, so it was great to see, uh, you know, them one last time before they go out and hopefully some of these kids help themselves in the recruitment. Sure. Yeah, George, what did you see about those games that you were, you know, covering? Well, you know, I wasn't there for the 3A, but, in, you know, from what my other, uh, you know, coworkers were able to, to go and cover, they were just like, man, it was unreal to see, you know, that many fans. You know, me as a basketball fan, especially a high school basketball fan, I really would wish that they, uh, they looked to possibly do it on a weekend. So I can watch every game. I mean, space it out and maybe even open up a Sunday. Like I said, we're doing it in AAU already. 
I think that'd be a really, really cool thing for the AI to do to have one through six A on the same weekend. That would be pretty amazing. I don't be all day, but just to see all those games, you know, opposed to last year, you know, I remember covering last year and it was it was a nightmare where, you know, we were driving all over the valley, the high school locations just to cover it. But um, you know, the, the biggest story for me on the girls' end was uh watching Sal Point. I remember covering them in the, the championship game against uh, Seton Catholic last year. And I remember talking to their backcourt and, and Tessa Hastings, uh, Bria Medina and Kylie Callahan. And, you know, they weren't teary-eyed. They just looking in their eyes, I could see the eye of the tiger. Like they were just so frustrated because they came so close. But that Seton Catholic team was just unreal last year. Both teams were really good. And then able, you know, I was able to see them. They came to our event the summer class last June and won that event. And that's when, you know, I just kind of told my coworkers, I'm like, I, I think South Point's going to win it all 4A, just the way they've been playing, you know, in addition to their, you know, their front court, two freshman girls that came in, just took them to another level. So they were just so hungry and it was nice to see them win, you know, that, you know, to piggyback off what Richard and Anthony was talking about, about the semifinal, that uh, on the boys' side, that St. Mary's Mesquite game, I, I still can't process it. It was so exciting, just like, wow. Um, both really talented teams. You know, um, Calmese and, and, and Gonzalez from Mesquite, just I'm still blown away by their performance, you know, and it was very fitting for them to win it all in 4A because they really earned and deserved to, to win it all. You know, did a fantastic job, championship game. South Point was a really disciplined team, but it's just, you know, they didn't have Nate Calmese. Calmese is just, you know, it's kind of like an Allen Iverson type performance in that game. So it's going to be interesting next year because, uh, you know, we're going to have a shot clock. You know, some of the games were pretty low scoring. So, you know, I'm really excited to see the, impl the implementation of the shot clock. So that, that'll be really good and as well as the open division so I'm pretty I'm pretty excited moving forward uh, credit to you uh, George because you called about South you called out that South Point would win it last summer when I saw you at the Skyline Prep uh, tournament that you held uh, there in June last year same weekend as Queens as a court tournament but Patrick I wanted you to talk real quick about the open division and having also the shot clock come in what were your uh, thoughts on that yeah, absolutely. I was going to, you know, piggyback off of what George said. Uh, two changes that I think are going to be interesting. One, the shot clock I uh, fully support and am excited to see that implemented. I think, um, you know, that, that student athletes that are going to play at the next level, this is something they need to be used to uh, playing with. And um, I also am a defensive minded coach. So uh, the advantage there goes to the defensive side of the ball where you, you know, don't have to execute a minute and a half of solid defense. Um, you know, you're able to, to run your sets. And then, you know, I also like to get out and push the ball, um, you know, offensively. So uh, very excited for what that's going to bring and, and what that does for all of us. And uh, the open division is, is unique and interesting for a few facets. My personal philosophy, and I know our, our district, a lot of us feel the same way and many of us coaches, we would love to see, uh, each conference have their champions and then have a champion of champions. And I know there's difference of opinion of, well, what does that prove or what is needed there? I think it, it does a few things. One, it lets you win your conference and then it takes,
takes who wins the conferences and then lets them go against each other for, you know, a true state champion. Uh, because uh, depending on how the PowerPoint structure works, I personally am not familiar, Richard, you may know if it's the same PowerPoint structure and they just take the top eight across the, all of the A's or if they actually have a different formula that operates. But if it is how it was this year and it just operates off of that, you know, some of the teams that won their respective conferences would not be in the open division as we head into next year. So I'm all about open competition. Just how that is calculated and determined is the area that I'm sure many of us coaches are concerned about. Well, they're going to build a plane uh, while flying it. <laughs> and so that's the thing about the AIA and the shot clock. And it seems like they're still building the plane while flying it when it comes to scheduling the games for the championship week, right? So I'm really, uh, really happy that the, the girls got to compete and the boys got to compete for a full year through the pandemic because the big uh, polarizing issue is kids leaving AIA schools for the prep programs and the double standard of AIA girls uh, or AIA member schools having their girls leave for prep programs because they get more exposure and because they don't have the shot clock and things of that nature and they have a year-round uh, independent national schedule that you travel around. So at least the AIA gets to retain a lot of those players and I'm not on either side. I just cover both sides and I get flack for, you know, when I was covering both sides and giving prep schools, you know, some, some, some shine, you know, compared to the traditional lists that are died in the wool saying I shouldn't, but yeah, I Dana, I'm curious what Richard, uh, do you know about what that open uh, rankings will look like from a PowerPoint perspective? I would think it's going to be very uh, similar to football and what they did there. I mean, they're going to take four, five, six, a five, a and four, a the conferences and just, and also, you know, the conferences ha have a chance to say before the season even starts, starts, no, we don't want to be part of the open. We just want to play in the conference. So, but it all, if all the conferences agree, okay, we're, we'll, we'll be part of the open, then they're going to, they're going to just, you know, calculate through their rating system, um, the top eight teams, um, you know, and chop them off from the top of uh, the 6A, 5A, and 4A, whether, I don't know how how they're going to look at uh, scheduling as far as like if St. Mary's plays a uh, Perry and um, how how much those points are going to be winning. You know, you know, even if if St. Mary's loses to Perry, I mean, is that going to be a lot of points for for St. Mary's down the road to get into the Elite Eight or not? Or I, I think I think there's going to need there needs to be human element, and I thought that way for football too. There needs to be a, a committee of people picking these teams instead of a computer. Um, maybe use part of it a computer, but but. I, but I think I think if you want to get the best eight teams in the state, um, I don't think you can really rely on a computer to do that for you because they're gonna they're gonna miss they're gonna miss some teams that that are worthy that you can see you know or, or no brainers that should be there. But um, you know that's my opinion. I, I have a different view as far as the tournament of champions after champions because I don't know. I mean I, I mean there's such a uh, you know, a buildup to this, these championship games and, and conference, they, they're all calling them state championships. And then, and then for them to have to emotionally get back up and get it, get into another tournament. And then what if you lose? And then does that, does that kind of lose the luster of the championship you just won? I mean, do you feel, is there, do you kind of leave on a downer note instead of an up note that you had while you won the conference title? So I don't know that I just have mixed emotions on that one. Yeah. All valid. Yeah. 
it's definitely going to be interesting to see how, yeah. how it shakes out, especially if any conference opts out. Because this right. year, what was the breakdown by 4, 5, and 6A? It was pretty spread across, right? So if you have a conference right. come out, I know 4A, we were powerful. You know, but in basketball, there's, there's a little bit more parity, I think, out there than yeah. there would be for football. Yeah, and I think it'll be, you know, what's more interesting is uh, the, the student-athletes and their perspective, because if you're a cactus, you go in and get knocked out in the first round where you have a very strong chance to get a ring um, right. and have that as a memory for, you know, the rest of your life. And so I know that weighs heavily on us as coaches is, as yeah. we vote and, and give our input to our conferences, you know, do we want to be in the open or not? I'm all about the open competition, but, uh, you know, it's my job to also, you know, look at what the student-athletes want as well. And so so I don't think there's any easy answer here. And um, it, it's definitely going to be interesting this off season as, you know, we move forward from a shot clock perspective, we've all of our tournaments that we enter in the off seasons have shot clock. So that that's nothing new. I don't think that's going to be as big of a story as what this open division impact will have, especially with the parity in basketball as it compares to football. Yeah. And that Brophy parity, that Brophy parity semifinal six, eight could have used a shot clock. I mean, the, they went three overtimes, so and the final score was 49-47, and a total of 10 points between the two schools were scored in three overtimes combined. So, you know, uh, you know, I mean, oh, yeah, you know, coaches, they, they have a right to hold the ball or maybe just work around and make sure they get the shot. But, yeah, they were all – Brophy – every time Brophy had a chance to work down the last minute and a half, two minutes of the overtime, they were going to keep it and, and work for that last shot. And it ended up backfiring for them in that third overtime when they, they lost possession of the ball – turnover uh Perry scores at the other end they end up winning it I'm really believing that the high schools should get the look that they should inside the footprint center if Chris Paul can bring his HBCU round robin in November to you know from all parts of the east coast to come and play here they should bring kids uh into the uh, footprint center where the Suns play to give them that same experience uh that's basically going to help brew the next uh, brew the, the Suns fan culture from uh, the high school and uh, not just from the the people that can afford it that are older. And, and, and yeah, I'd like parents. to see. I, I would like to see the Suns sponsor uh, the AIA high school championships the way the Pacers do in Indiana for Absolutely. their high school championship games. You know, and it's just a win-win all around. And, and and they play their games all on the same day, the championship games in Indiana. The boys on one day, the girls on the next day. And it's and it's it's great, and they're always on time. They said so. Uh, who knows if they can do that? Moving on to next topic, we, Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski had his last game on Saturday, March fifth, against UNC at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Now there was a lot of pageantry going into this game. About you know, there was ninety six players counted that from his uh, yesteryear, and you know the, all part of the Duke lore. And then they lost. To Duke, what did you see Saturday? If you watched the game, I got I caught bits and pieces of it, but um, yeah, Cameron Indoor Stadium—that's like one of the greatest college atmosphere, you know, arenas there is in in America. You know, you can't beat that. And for Coach K to have all those former players there for him, I mean, yeah, of course, yeah, they lost to North Carolina, which is, which is a tough—that's a downer. That's your rival, um, but what he's done historically over his career is just remarkable. And he even he even came to Arizona back in the early '80s to recruit uh, Mark Allery out of Brophy Prep, and he was one of his first big uh, big time players over there in the '80s at Duke. So uh, oh, that's a name. Cool that's see. a throwback it, name. It, yeah, it's cool to see that, and and you know, and he's got the tournament to come. They see the, the NCAA, so who knows how far he'll how much farther he's got this season? Yeah, I um, 
you know, I just, to mirror what uh, Richard said, it was just amazing the history, the amount of players that he's helped and that have come back. Obviously, you see some of those guys have gotten a little older. Uh, they, you know, some of them look like me now, but, uh, you know, <laughs> you know it's, just, it's just amazing what he's done. And I always remember Coach K was probably the first thing that I remember when I started watching college basketball was uh, watching, you know, Duke play whoever and Dick Vitale calling the games on ESPN when I was a kid. But, you know, funny story is I had a kid when I had a club program, I had a kid named Carrick Felix that ended up at Arizona State, but he first signed with Duke. And he was actually the first and only junior college kid that Coach K ever signed. And I never forget, uh, Nate James, the assistant at the time, said, hey, if I can get Coach K to offer uh, Carrick, we don't want a recruiting process. He's got to commit. And, of course, Carrick was like, yes, if they offer me, I'm committing. And I'm saying to myself, if you offer this kid, this would be a miracle. Carrick, of course, went to Millennium High School here locally. So Coach K offers Carrick, and then I get a phone call from Coach K two days later, you know, of course, introducing himself. This is Michael Shiseski with Duke. I'm like, Coach, I know who you are. He says, he says you know, I, I can't locate Carrick Felix. We offered him two days ago and haven't been able, been able to get him back on the phone. And it was ridiculous that Carrick was trying to figure out what he wanted to do all of a sudden. Because unfortunately, his mother had cancer, and so he ended up uh, he ended up signing with Duke. Goes there for a couple of days. Unfortunately, fell to class and couldn't get in, and then had to end up going to Arizona State and playing for Herm Zibdeck. But amazing history just to be involved with with Coach K in that program, and like 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 uh, you know, just like Richard said, they they don't recruit Arizona or or on the West Coast at all that yes. much. So, uh, you know, just uh, it was great to be a part of that. But great to see them. They got a great chance to win it all this year. They still have a really good team. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, for me, uh, it was just historic, you know, to watch that. And as a coach myself, you know, most important is the impact you make on others and giving back. And so to see as many people that were able to make it in attendance and honor him in his last regular season home game, um, it, it's truly special. And I know how much, you know, that that would mean to me. And so I know how much, you know, Coach K valued that. And it, it is bigger than just high or just college. So, you know, I was messaging my student athletes live and like, hey, you need to watch this especially the ceremony after um, and, and some of them didn't get it. And I'm like, you will in the future. Cause he's, it's not just about Duke and college. It's about what he's done for the NBA and basketball as a whole and our nation and, and the oh, name with yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the, the medals, and the NBA I mean, it, yeah. it transcends uh, generations. And so, um, you know, that, that was just great to see. And I think that Duke did a very good job of handling that and the coverage, uh, especially after the game. And uh, as a coach and a competitor, I love that he, you know, went and out of character and out of order, you know, made it clear he apologized for how his team performed and the results prior to getting into the ceremony. And it just shows that that level of competition and his commitment to his his athletes. George, you ever watch Duke? Uh, what was your take on them if you have uh, yeah. on Saturday? Man, that was, uh, you know, that was amazing. You know, I grew up watching Duke basketball, you know, what, you know, Coach K had a big impress on Pacific on basketball. 
I mean, every coach I played for growing up, you know, ran his defensive system. Um, and it, you know, when it's, when it's executed, it works, works great. And, um, you know, today I had a discussion with my class about it in my homeroom. And, uh, one kid was asking me, who is this dude? And I just said, that guy, you know, you don't, you, you don't know, but it, he's making a huge impact. He's made a huge impact on the game of basketball, just what he did for the sport. And, uh, he truly showed in that you know, in his ceremony that he was a servant leader having all those former players come back, just amazing. So, you know, I feel very blessed to, to grow up and be able to see his teams compete yeah. in the 90s, early 2000s, all the way up to now. Sure. And I'll tell you this, I grew up as a UNC fan. I still am. And I was glad that Duke lost for two reasons. One, because UNC and Duke is always the biggest game of the year in college basketball, right? I was glad for the pageantry. I was glad that uh, that the players came back, the players that you rooted against or may have rooted for. Like, I used to root for Grant Hill. I, I like Grant Hill, Jay Williams, those guys. But I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm going to take it a little uh, racial here. Tommy Amaker got snubbed for that job. Now, I read a report last week, and I shared this with Richard over the weekend, that New York, sport, New York Post sports columnist uh, Ian O'Connor had – wrote a book about Mike Krzyzewski and it was basically about the fact that Krzyzewski had, he, he basically snubbed Amaker who started with him back in the late eighties after Amaker played for him. Now Amaker is one of the few black players who played for Duke at the time in the early eighties, played against Michael Jordan, played with Mark Allery, Jay Billis and, uh, yeah, I believe Mike Jaminski at one point. So uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not really clear on those years of the cross. But I know that Tommy Amaker was really, really due for that job. And Duke's athletic department wanted to give it to him. They offered it to him. And it was his for the taking. And Mike Krzyzewski said, no, I'm going to give it to John Shire. So John Shire has never really coached a game fully. Uh, I mean, he, co he sat in his place. He's the assistant head coach and waiting. And John Shire won. He was a star on his 2010 championship team. Mark Allery, I mean, um, Tommy Amaker has been coaching for basically into his fourth decade now. So he's at Harvard. He left Duke's assistant coaching job to go to Seton Hall as the head coach, then moved on to Harvard, which is basically the uh, Duke's Ivy League sister school of the North. And he's been there since 2007. So I felt that this is a case where Duke is playing. Uh, Duke has always been kind of the villain in a way. Um, having these, they had that image of like this lily white Southern Ivy League school that has maybe a few token black players. And it's changed over the past 10 years. And now it looks like the Georgetown Bowl where it's mostly black starting five and a lot more black kids going to that school. Right. But Mike Krzyzewski, snubbing Tommy Amaker, who's more qualified for the job than John Shire, who has basically is a glorified recruiter and not, you don't know his X's and O's. He's basically saying that black players are good enough to play here, but not good enough to pull the strings, you know, as, you know, as a black head coach. That's what I don't like about it. Now, Coach K, I'm sure, probably is not thinking that way, but – with the advent of Black Lives Matter and also losing to Hubert Davis, who was the first black head coach in history of North Carolina, that makes me proud. 
as a black male, right, who grew up playing basketball. Those are things that I look at in terms of the underling, the undertones of, of race and that have been related to Duke since God knows how long, dating back to Gene Banks in the 70s. So I think Duke is probably going to go far in the tournament, but I'm, I was so much more rooting against them for that reason going into Saturday, and that's why I was screaming at my TV, you know, happy when they lost on Saturday. So our last topic is about Brittany Griner detained in Russia. I know we talked about that over the weekend, guys, me, namely Anthony and George and, and Richard. We discussed this. I'll start with Patrick. Did you see this about Phoenix Mercury Center, Brittany Griner, uh, over there in Russia getting caught with hashish oil cartridges trying to come back through the airport? Yeah, I did. You know, it it is um, concerning, very much so. Um, it's also very interesting. Brittany Griner has traveled uh, to Russia and overseas uh, for years, and so I'm sure she's well aware of what those rules are and whether it was an accident and she forgot those were on her or not um, is, is to be seen, but definitely a concern uh, that hits here home, but also a larger scale for, you know, the, the entire U.S. and the WNBA um, is something uh, that is, is, you know, I pray on daily and, and a concern for sure of how this will uh, work out. What about you, Richard? We talked about this. Yeah. Yeah, it's scary. I mean, gosh. I mean, you're talking, what, maybe 10 years she could stay there in prison there? That's just, yeah. that's horrifying for something like that. That's, that's ridiculous, you know, and I mean, it's, but it's legal in Arizona now. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know what, well, I have no idea what was going on. I mean, there's reports out there that she, she could have been incarcerated for maybe two or three weeks now over there. You just don't know what the true, real truth is coming out of, out of, out of Russia right now because of the turmoil and the war going on in Ukraine. So, um, man, oh man, I, I hate to see her being used as a pawn, you know, political pawn. And then, you know, um, I know how Russia really doesn't like the United States right now. So, I mean, if they're using her, it's just, it's just terrible. It's horrible. I feel, I feel for her, her family. I mean, it's just, you know, she needs to get out of there in the worst way, you know, <laughs> whatever. Hopefully her legal team, people can help her get out. Yeah, my take, you know, on that deal, I, I exactly, Richard, I, I feel for her and her family. But you got to be high and out of your mind to try to travel internationally with drugs. This isn't laugh. Arizona. This is Russia. Right. I shouldn't laugh. You know, they're at war. Are you out of your mind? Right. This is what we're dealing with when we're dealing with athletes. Because some of these athletes today have a sense of entitlement that they're different from humans. They're different from every, everyone else. So in a sense... I don't, I don't wish any harm on this young lady, and she's a tremendous talent and basketball player. But from a humanistic perspective, like, what were you thinking? You know, I, I'm looking through my bags four and five times to make sure I ain't got nothing. If I, I'm, whether, whether I did something yeah. or not, right. that's scary. You yeah. know, like you said, you know, there's a movie, uh, old movie came out in the 90s called Return to Paradise. Uh, Vince Vaughn's in it, and uh, very similar with Joaquin Phoenix, and they have they have hashies, and, and 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 in the film, one of the characters gets hung in public, 
you know, for that type of violation. And that always stuck with me that if I ever go to a foreign country, I'm going to make darn sure that uh, I follow every single rule that they have. Cause you don't know. That's scary, man. I mean, it, you know, seeing that happen, it kind of reminds me of a, cause again, I'm born and raised in Hawaii. What made big news was when uh dog, the bounty hunter and his crew went over to Mexico and, you know, we're just trying to, you know, run it just like, you know, hey, we, we can bounty hunt down here. The rules don't apply to us. And bam, you know, it's, it's just, I think, celebrities and 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 athletes, you know, they, they got to just, hopefully it's a wake-up call. You know, I don't wish any harm on Brittany again. She, you know, for what she's doing for, you know, our, our Phoenix Mercury. And, um, you know, but, you know, that's kind of a, a little bit of an embarrassment the way that, you know, Arizona is represented as well as our, our, our nation of America. So, um, yeah, just again, the piggyback of what Anthony said, you know, maybe she was a little intoxicated, but yeah, it's, you know, again, we're all not perfect. And hopefully, you know, it, she learns from it and she can come back safely because you can only imagine what's going on, you know, over there right now in Russia, they, you know, I guarantee are in like pretty much kind of a lockdown too with the war going on and everything up. Right. Now, I will say this about being locked up in a foreign country. I've never experienced that. I've never been off North American soil in full disclosure, but I've been to Canada and Russia is not Canada. Russia is nowhere near uh, the totally different lifestyle. We've seen documentaries like Locked Up Abroad, that movie The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio, and you know that movie that you mentioned. It is just those, those are certain things that I know that WNBA players have to go over there to make a living. She gets paid a salary of like 1.5 million, and she stays in mansions and such. And, um, and and a lot of WNBA players have to go over there, like Dimes Harassi, just to make a living because they don't make as much here in the states as in WNBA, which is seen as the best basketball, women's basketball league in the world, even though they don't pay them as such. But you still have to follow the laws of the land. And I'm not here to, uh, to say uh, as, as a right-wing conservative, because uh, I'm not. I'm more moderate on this issue. I'm, I pride myself as a leftist, but I'm more down the middle. It's like, just because you are a celebrity or you are a, an athlete does not give you the right to basically say, you know what, I'm going to do what I want in this country because this country hasn't, uh, they have to catch up to the way we live over here. We always have this idea in America that we have to basically be the police for the world and put our way of our ideology on somebody else since, uh, you know, type of lifestyle in another country. And they need to basically adapt to ours. And that's what we've seen over the years, uh, you know, basically saving people abroad that are names like the Leangelo Ball situation a couple of years ago when he got caught in China shoplifting as UCLA was over there and Trump had to help get him out. And, um, there's, there's there's certain other situations where the athletes get themselves caught up and, and they just think that they can just find a way. It's my I always was was taught that if you go over somewhere and you don't have something, you're doing something illegally or you're trying to uh, or potentially. I, I was just in you know, Mexico with my wife and it's just like you know you better throw something away if you have something that might not be cool to get through the airport with, and I'm not promoting drug use, but, but it's just a matter of you better throw all that stuff away. And it's not like anything is so special in Russia that you can't find back home, you know, hashish oil. You can get that over here in Arizona for, you know, with a dispensary on every corner now. Right. 
after it's legalized. You can get anywhere. You can get to anywhere in the States or wherever you're traveling. You can do it in Amsterdam. But this is a place in Russia that has a lot of political strife and especially a black six foot nine gay female in who has a septum ring in her nose who looks as liberal as possible over there in a very conservative country that is run by an oligarch named Putin. And he likes does not like any American and is not named Trump, right? So this is the thing about like being aware of your surroundings and where you are at all times, even though you're making millions of dollars in another country tax-free. So that's the conclusion of our podcast today. Uh, and we appreciate you tuning in. Thank you guys for c- coming in and talking with us. For Anthony Ray, Richard Obert, George Courtney, and Patrick Patillo, I'm Dana Scott. And we'll get to you next time on episode four. And appreciate you. Go Suns. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.